What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Martian MMA Podcast. I am your host, and my name is John. And this week, we have episode 132, where we will be analyzing and predicting the UFC 257 pay-per-view going down this Saturday, January 23rd, 2021, headlined by the rematch between Conor McGregor and Dustin Poirier. This 11-fight card will take place from Abu Dhabi United Arab Emirates, which means it will take place in the large UFC cage. Just a quick recap of the last UFC event that went down just a few days ago. I did predict 8 out of 14 fights correctly, but sadly lost 4.8 units in terms of official bets. So starting off the year with two losing events, that's not the start we wanted for, but we will keep persisting. We got another card this weekend. I analyzed all these fights, and there are some bets I like in this one. I'll end up with a few more track bets than I already have, but I do already have a few tracked bets on my Bet MMA Tips page. Make sure you go check them out. And we're going to get right down to the first fight of the car, which takes place in the flyweight division. We have Amir Albazi taking on Zalgas Zumagulov. The current betting line for this fight over on Bet Online is a minus 110 pick on both sides. The line opened up right around the same, so there is two-way action coming in on this fight. I'm actually a bit surprised that not more action is coming in on Zalgas Zumagulov. I was pretty impressed with him in his UFC debut. He did officially lose that fight to decision uh, to Holyon Paiva, but I honestly thought he won that fight winning rounds 2 and 3. Zumagulov definitely has a counter-punching style where he moves backwards for most of the fight and looks to pick his shot, so he's not the highest volume puncher, and he also does move backwards a lot, which is not the best style for MMA. MMA judges do have a hard time recognizing when a fighter is moving backwards and winning, unlike boxing and Muay Thai, which is much more common for fighters to move backwards and counter-punch, but not in MMA, so that's a bit of a concern here, but... Zumagulov is very good at counterpunching. He has sharp boxing, fast hands, and he has the ability to hit takedowns, a wide array of takedowns, and keep top position as well. Albazi looked sharp in his UFC debut against Malcolm Gordon, looked good on the feet and on the ground in that one, but that was against Gordon, who is one of the worst fighters in the division, so I don't hold that win too highly. And if you look at these guys' records before they got into the UFC, Zumagulov was fighting much stiffer competition, was winning those fights, was having five-round experience, fighting really tough fighters over in Russia. While Abazi, I think, had a bit of an easier strength to schedule, he fought former UFC fighter Shorty Torres and lost that fight in a close fight. I don't really love the defensive striking of Albazi. I think he gets hit a bit too much. And when he gets taken down, he does not look very good off of his back. Doesn't have the greatest takedown defense. So I actually give Zumagulov a pretty significant grappling advantage here. I give Zumagulov a slight striking advantage. The only reason I don't give Zumagulov more of a striking advantage is because some of the issues I mentioned earlier. He moves backwards a lot. He's looking to counter. Doesn't have the highest volume. So I expect Albazi to be throwing the more volume of the two. And he could win these rounds based on volume and optics. But I'm picking Zumagulov as the better striker to move backwards, to counter punch, to outstrike Albazi, and to possibly even mix it up and get some takedowns in top position as well. So I like Zumagulov in this fight. I would cap him closer to 60%. I gave him more ways to win the fight, and I gave him a skill advantage overall. So the pick for me is going to be Zumagulov by decision. I am looking to lock in a bet on Zumagulov, but just waiting for the right time. The line is holding around minus 110, so I'm kind of seeing where the action is going to come in. I think there is value up until minus 150, so it won't be a massive play. Maybe one, one and a half units on Zumagulov money line, but I like him in this fight, and I'm picking him to win by decision. And this is a really awesome fight to kick off the card. The next fight takes place in the featherweight division. We have Nick Lentz taking on Mosvar Ivalev. The current betting line for this one over on Bet Online, we see Ivalev minus 600 to Lentz plus 425. Ivalev opened up a big favorite and is continuing to be bet as a big favorite. And honestly, I agree with it. I think that minus 600 is accurate. I would put Ivalev's chances at around 85 to 90% in this fight. 
I just don't see any area of the fight that Lenz can't have continued success in. He will compete in the striking and grappling. He's a very competent striker and grappler, but I do get the feeling that Mosvar Ivalev is a level or two ahead of Lenz at this point in their careers, especially in the terms of the grappling. Ivalev is a tremendous grappler, and he has very good boxing, sneaky good striking as well. So Mosvar Ivalev is a blue chip prospect in my opinion, and he should run through Nick Lenz pretty easily here. This is a tough fight to bet because there's not much value in terms of money line considering Ivalev is such a massive favorite, so you're going to have to look to props to find any bets for this one. Ivalev has won all three of his UFC fights by decision, so Ivalev by decision is the bet that jumps off the page at me, but even that prop I would cap around 65%, so there's some slight value on the minus 140 decision line. But you might even want to stab on most of all in rounds two, round three. Even though Ivalev has not finished somebody in the UFC yet, I think he will start to rack up finishes considering he, he is an elite technician. He has incredible skill. And I think we could see a very lopsided fight in the later rounds here. So it's possible that Ivalev gets his first finish here. And I think the chance that he finishes is enough to deter me from betting on that Ivalev decision. So if you're feeling a bit risky and you want to go with that Ivalev decision, take that prop. And if you're thinking that Ivalev might turn it up in the later rounds, get aggressive and look for his first UFC finish, look into those Ivalev round two, round three props. For me though, no official bets on this one and the pick is going to be Ivalev by decision. The next fight takes place in the light heavyweight division. We have Marcin Prachnio taking on Khalil Roundtree. The current betting line for this one is Roundtree minus 325 to Prachnio plus 275. Roundtree opened a pretty significant favorite and continues to be bet as a big favorite price. I'm going to disagree with that action. I don't think that you can be trusting Khalil Roundtree at over minus 300, even though it's marching Prachnio, who has looked completely awful in all three of his UFC fights, getting knocked out in round three of all three of those fights. It seems like he's off steroids. He's not quite the fighter he was in his pre-UFC fights. He has sloppy striking, bad defense, doesn't have the ability to absorb big shots, and he's really bad in the clinch as well. His last fight against Mike Rodriguez, he got grilled with knees and elbows in the clinch, and Khalil Roundtree has been working on his clinch game. Of course, he went to Thailand, improved his striking a bit, was able to defeat Eric Anders in a very decisive fight, but then in that Kudalaba fight, we realized that he hasn't really corrected a lot of the problems that he once has. He tends to gas out, go for early finishes, and kind of cardio dump if he doesn't get that early finish. And he also doesn't have the greatest takedown defense. So Khalil Roundtree is not the type of fighter you want to be betting at minus 300. Even the Khalil Roundtree knockout props, I think, are going to be a pass at this point. It seems very obvious that Roundtree is going to knock him out in round one, considering that Prochnio has been slept in round one by three southpaw strikers in a row. So that is the most likely result here is Roundtree getting the early knockout. But in terms of bets for this one, I think that Prochnio round one knockout is worth a stab. I think these two will probably trade punches in round one. As I mentioned, Roundtree makes a lot of mistakes. He is sloppy. So Prochnio KO round one at plus 1300 is worth a small stab. It seems like people are betting those Khalil Roundtree round one, round one knockout props. And I think the value has evaporated from those props it might have been a decent bet at plus 170 plus 150 but where it's at now around even money i think it's a pass this is a tough fight to bet because it's really low level and if you have faith if you have confidence in khalil roundtree to go out there and do the right thing to do it efficiently to march prachnio down land some big shots and knock him out in round one then maybe those Roundtree round one props are still for you. But personally, I think the value is gone and I don't trust Roundtree enough to do the right thing and to get that early knockout. So the pick will be Roundtree round one knockout. But in terms of bets, I cannot put the probability that Roundtree gets that round one knockout at over 50%. So that means I do not see any value in those round one props anymore. So it's a pass in terms of bets for this one, but it will be a Roundtree round one knockout pick for me. 
The next fight takes place in the women's bantamweight division. We have Juliana Pena taking on Sarah McMahon. The current betting line for this one is McMahon minus 131 to Pena plus 111. I've actually had a bet tracked on this fight for a few weeks now on my Bet MMA Tips page. And when looking at all the upcoming fights a few weeks back, I think this is the line that jumped out at me as one of the most valuable lines that we have. And that's why I decided to track a bet on it. And my bet is on Sarah McMahon. I do trust her to win this fight. Pena has only had two fights in the past three or four years. One of them was a decision victory over Nico Montano. I think she looked pretty sloppy and rusty in that fight. She went for a bad takedown. She ended on bottom, and she looked pretty bad off of her back. She didn't have much ability to get up and spent around three minutes on her back in that fight. She did rally to win the last two rounds and win that decision, so I'll give her some credit for that. And in Pena's most recent fight versus Jermaine Durandame, she really struggled. She had top position at times, but she couldn't keep that top position. She actually got reversed by Jermaine Durandame and eventually submitted by GDR as well, who was a lifetime kickboxer. So that was a really bad look from Pena. I don't really think she's the same fighter she was before she took that two or three year layoff. Pena really relies on grappling to win most of her fights, and considering that she wasn't able to outgrapple Jermaine Durandame for long periods of time and actually got reversed and put on bottom versus her, and considering she spent a good amount of time on bottom versus Nico Montano, I think the chances that Pena is able to outgrapple Sarah McMahon are very low because I do think that Sarah McMahon is the better grappler. I think she's looked a lot more competent lately and Sarah McMahon isn't the most reliable fighter. She is getting old. She is close to 40 years old, I believe, and she has had moments in the UFC where she's been winning fights and then kind of lost them in an embarrassing fashion. But I'm still going to trust Sarah McMahon to win in this matchup. I think the matchup really favors her. If these two stay striking on the feet, it will get pretty ugly. I do think that Pena probably has a slight striking advantage, just considering that she is the younger, more athletic fighter. But if it stays in the feet, I don't think there will be a clear winner. I think it will be some really even exchanges. And I don't see any way this fight doesn't eventually end up on the ground. And that is where I favor Sarah McMahon. So the pick for me is going to be Sarah McMahon to win by decision. If she does get takedowns, I think she actually has a good chance of passing guard, getting some pretty dominant positions, and maybe even submitting Juliana Pena on the mat. So maybe you want to stab on that McCann submission prop, but I think the money line is good enough for me. Even at this price, minus 131, I think there's some pretty significant value there. I would cap Sarah McMahon closer to 60-65% here. The only reason this isn't a 3 or 4 unit bet for me is because of that unreliability around McMahon. And considering it is women's MMA after all, so 2 units is the amount I'm comfortable with. I have 2 units tracked on McMahon at minus 116, and I'm picking her to win by decision. The next fight takes place in the middleweight division. We have Antonio Carlos Jr. taking on Brad Tavares. The current betting line for this one, Tavares minus 115, Carlos Jr. minus 105. A lot of action coming in this week on Antonio Carlos Jr. Just a few days ago, Carlos Jr. was plus 130, plus 125, and now it's approaching a near pick'em price, so the betters are loving Antonio Carlos Jr. here, and I'm going to disagree with that action. I think if you want to bet Antonio Carlos Jr. here, you might as well do it by submission because if Antonio Carlos Jr. is winning this fight, he is grappling. He's not a good striker. Tavares is the better striker. And if ACJ has any success here, it is going to be via hitting takedowns, via getting that clinch, maybe some back takes. And if he's out grappling Tavares, then I think the submission will be really live at plus 380. So if you want to take Antonio Carlos Jr. here, take him by submission. Maybe even go with those round one, round two submission props because when it gets to round three, Carlos Jr. does not have a ton of energy. He did get a back take on Uriah Hall in round three of his last fight, but he had no energy to go for a choke. Wasn't really ever close to finishing anything. 
So if Antonio Carlos Jr. does win this fight, I think it's most likely by round one or round two submission. I guess he does have a slight chance at winning a decision based on top position time and controlling the grappling and never finding a submission. But if Shoeface is able to outgrapple Tavares for enough time to win a decision, I think he has multiple opportunities to hit a submission, and that's why I think that submission prop is the better way to play him. Now getting over to Tavares, he only has about two and a half minutes worth of fighting time in the past two years. He fought Adesanya back in 2018, was largely dominated in that fight. He did come back in 2019 to fight Edmund Shabazian, but was knocked out in round one. He didn't Previously pretty durable and been able to eat some big shots, but he got dropped with a head kick and finished off by Shabazzian in that fight. So we might be seeing a decline from Tavares, but it's really hard to tell based on how little footage we've seen from him. But in the footage in the past, Tavares has actually shown pretty good takedown defense. He stuffed takedowns from Elias Theodoro, was taken down briefly by Theodoro, but was able to bounce back up to his feet, wasn't put in any bad positions. And Tavares has stuffed shots from Talis Latis, from Christoph Jocko, pretty decent fighters with good takedowns. And Tavares has had pretty solid takedown defense throughout his career. The biggest question in this fight is Tavares' takedown defense because you know what Antonio Carlos Jr. is going to do. He's a pretty bad striker. He will get outstruck on the feet by Tavares if it stays there. So he's going to be looking to close that distance, get takedowns, get the fight in the clinch. And even if he does get takedowns and get the fight where he wants it, it's not necessarily game over for Tavares because Antonio Carlos Jr. hit three takedowns versus Uriah Hall, had a back take in that fight. He also hit four takedowns versus Ian Heinish, and he lost both of those fights via decision. So even when the fight is going in ACJ's favor, he sometimes still doesn't do enough with that control to win rounds in the eyes of the judges. So that's just another reason why I think that ACJ's submission is the better play than Moneyline. The chances that ACJ wins via decision or TKO are extremely low, so that's why I think it's better to take his submission props or maybe even sub round one, sub round two. In terms of a pure pick for this fight, even though we haven't seen much of Tavares in the past few years, I'm going to trust the takedown defense that Tavares showed in his previous fights. I'm going to trust the fact that Tavares is the better striker, and I think he's got the better cardio of the two as well. Antonio Carlos Jr. is a very one-dimensional fighter. He's looking for takedowns in round one. I think he slows down very heavily after round one, doesn't have great three-round cardio. And if he doesn't get that submission, he doesn't really have many ways to win the fight. So I think Tavares knows what's coming from Antonio Carlos Jr. And he will be well-prepared enough to avoid those takedown defense, not spend too much time in dominant positions, and to outstrike Antonio Carlos Jr. here. I think the goes the distance is a decent line here because Carlos Jr. is tough. Tavares is not the biggest hitter. And I think we do see the scorecards in this one. So maybe the goes the distance prop is good for you. But I think... Tavares' money line is approaching a very good price. The best price has been all week. We actually might even see Tavares as an underdog because that action is coming in very heavily on, on Antonio Carlos Jr. And I just don't really see it. I think Tavares is probably the money line side where it's at now. If you like ACJ in this fight, take him by submission. And I think in terms of money line, it's Tavares or pass. And I will be picking Brad Tavares to win by decision. The next fight takes place in the lightweight division. We have Armand Sarukian taking on Matt Frivola. The current betting line we see is Saruki in minus 700 to Frivola plus 525. This fight was put together just a few hours ago. We were supposed to see Saruki versus Hakprast, and we were supposed to see Frivola versus Ottoman Azaitar. Azaitar and Hakprast couldn't make the weight, so they are matching these two up together. Definitely a bummer those two fights got canceled. I was liking the value on Hakprast as a plus 250 underdog, and I was liking Frivola as an underdog against Ottoman Azaitar too. And now we're kind of put into an unbettable fight where 
The value is definitely on Frivola, plus 525. I think he's tough enough. He's good enough of a striker and grappler to compete at all phases here. And even though Sarukin is likely a level or two ahead, I think that Frivola will be tough enough and give Sarukin enough problems to justify that plus 525 line. In terms of money line for this one, it is definitely dog or pass. The value is on Frivola at 5-1. to one. And there aren't any props out for this fight yet, but once the props drop, something that might be worth looking into is Sarukian by a decision. He is not really an aggressive fighter who turns it up late and looks to finish his opponents. And as I mentioned, Frivola is very tough. He comes from a wrestling background. He's a solid grappler. He can crack on the feet, and he has pretty good cardio as well. So I think Fervola will stick around, even though he will be pretty thoroughly outclassed here, and he will make it to a decision. So the pick for me will be Taruki in decision. Not much analysis on this fight because it was thrown together just a few hours ago. I don't think there's much analysis to be put into this one, except for the fact that it is dog or pass, and the pick will be Taruki by a decision. The next fight is the first fight on the main card in the women's strawweight division. We have Amanda Hibas taking on Marina Rodriguez. We have Hibas minus 307 to Rodriguez plus 257. Right off the bat, I think this line is a bit wide. If this fight stays on the feet and these two strike with one another, I think the exchanges will be very competitive and there might even be a slight advantage to Marina Rodriguez. Rodriguez does some cool things on the feet with her kicks, her Muay Thai stance. The way she gets the clinch and throws good knees and elbows on her opponents is really fun to watch. And I think if these two are standing, it will be close. I mean, Amanda Hibas had some close moments with Random Marcos on the feet in their fight. So if this one stays standing for extended periods of time, I think Rodriguez has a great chance to make this fight really competitive. Eventually, I do expect Hibas to start shooting takedowns, looking to get this fight to the floor, where she definitely has a significant advantage. Hibas is a very good grappler, very heavy on top, good submission game. But her wrestling isn't that great. I don't think she has a huge arsenal of takedowns. But Rodriguez has really struggled with wrestling in the UFC. She has that tall, long, lanky frame. Just not a good frame for wrestling. And a lot of her opponents like Calvillo and Esparza were able to take her down and get some pretty dominant positions on the ground. She does not do well getting off of her back. Looking at the bets for this fight, in terms of money line, I do think it is dog or pass. The value is on Marina Rodriguez here. I would cap this fight closer to 70% for Hibas, 30% for Rodriguez, so some slight value on Marina Rodriguez. If you like Hibas in this fight, if you think this matchup favors her and you want to bet her here, I think the best way to do it is Hibas by submission. As I mentioned earlier, the striking will be very competitive between these two, and I definitely don't think that Hibas will be decisively winning the fight in the striking. So if Hibas is decisively winning the fight and justifying her minus 300 money line, it will be via hitting takedowns and outgrappling Rodriguez. And I think that if she's doing that, the submission is going to look really live at plus 300. So just to recap everything I just said, in terms of money line, I do think it is Rodriguez or pass here. There's some slight value on her money line. Would it go crazy? Maybe only a half unit to one unit. And if you like Hibas here, then I would advise taking her submission prop because if she's winning the fight decisively, I do think it will be with her grappling, with her top position. And if she has Rodriguez on her back, I think that Hibas is really live to hit that submission and end the fight inside the distance. So in terms of a pure pick for this fight, I gotta go with Amanda Hibas. I just have not seen good enough defensive grappling from Marina Rodriguez to think that she stops the takedown attempts from Hibas here. And Hibas likely dominates with her top position and her grappling, possibly even finding a submission here. And I think I will go with a submission as my official pick. Let's go with a Hibas submission round three. I just think the top position, the top pressure, and the submission attempts will be too much for Rodriguez, and she eventually gets tapped out here. So the pick is Hibas by submission. The next fight takes place in the middleweight division. We have Andrew Sanchez taking on Mahmoud Muradov. 
The current betting line for this one is Murdov minus 142, Sanchez plus 123. This is a really fun fight. I'm really looking forward to this one. There is two-way action coming in on this fight. I still have some questions around Murdov, even though he is pretty deep in his MMA career. I just don't think we've really seen him against high-level competition that much, so it's hard to get a good feel of where he's at as a fighter. A lot of his pre-UFC wins were over low-level competition. When he fought a good fighter in Alessio de Kirgo, he had a really close decision. It was a really close fight. Muradov looked sharp in the first two rounds, but his output dropped off heavily in round three. I don't know if he gassed out or he considered that he had the win in the bag, but he did not look good in round three. Alessio de Kirjo came on, landed big strikes in round three, and almost stole that decision. And then in Murdov's last fight, it was over a whole year ago against Trevor Smith, a lower-level opponent that he did make quick work of. His boxing looked sharp, and he did knock him out in round three of that fight. But he was much better than Trevor Smith. He was landing big shots on him, and he still didn't finish him to the last part of round three. So I don't think that Murdov is a great finisher. He doesn't throw the most volume. And I think this is going to be a competitive fight at all phases. Andrew Sanchez is a really good fighter. I'm a big fan of the guy. He had a great knockout in his last fight over Wellington Terman. He showed that he's got some crisp power in his hands, good boxing combinations. And Sanchez comes from a wrestling background as well. He's hard to take down. He can hit offensive takedowns. He pushes his opponents against the cage a lot and wears them out, tires their arms out in the clinch. So I envision this fight being competitive no matter where it goes, and I think it will be a close decision for either fighter, a 29-28 decision for either guy, or possibly even a split decision. So a bet for this fight I like is the goes the distance prop. I placed a 1.5 unit on that last night at the minus 110 odds over on the FanDuel Betfair Sportsbook. I think this fight goes to the decision at around a 65% rate. I'd say Muradov has a slightly higher chance to finish at around 20%. Sanchez at around 15% because Murlov is the much quicker guy. He should have a speed and athletic advantage over Andrew Sanchez here, but both guys are durable. Neither of the highest volume, and even though they won both of their last fights by knockout, I don't think either are huge powerful hitters, and I don't think either finishing each other is very likely at all. So I like this fight going to the decision. When it hits the decision, I expect it to be really close considering that Murdov doesn't have the highest volume, only throws about 20-30 strikes around. Sanchez is really good at pushing his opponents against the cage and draining some clock, winning some of the rounds, or winning some of the minutes in the clinch. And I really do think this decision could go either way. In terms of an official pick, I am going to go with a younger, more athletic, quicker fighter in Mahmoud Muradov to edge a decision here. And I think that the Muradov decision prop at plus 310 has some good value on it. We'll be cheering for Andrew Sanchez here. I think he's the cooler fighter. I really like that knockout he had over Terman in his last fight. So I'll be rooting for Sanchez here, but I'm going to go with a pick of Murdov by decision. And I have a 1.5 unit bet on the fight goes the distance here at minus 110 odds that I really like. And if you can get that goes the distance prop at anything below minus 150, minus 130, minus 110, like I got it, then I think that is worth the bet. And I advise you do the same. So the pick for me is going to be Murdov by a close decision. And this is a really fun fight. Really looking forward to this one. The next fight takes place in the women's flyweight division. We have Jessica I taking on Joanne Calderwood. The current betting line for this one over on Bet Online is Calderwood minus 119 to I minus 101. A good prop bet for this fight is fight is going to be boring at minus 10,000 odds. I think there is some good value there. Because who cares about this fight? Why is this fight on the main card? It's going to be a split decision type of fight. I don't really have a concrete opinion on either woman here. I'm going to go with Jessica I as my pick, but 
I really don't even have much analysis to put in this fight. I mean, you actually have to go back and rewatch Jessica I fights and Joanne Calderwood fights to have an opinion here. And I just don't see how that is humanly possible with how bad and boring they are as fighters. So the pick for me will be Jessica I. Don't mean to disrespect these women, but they're two unexciting fighters who do not deserve to be on the main card here. And I just don't think there's much analysis to be put into this fight. It'll be a coin flip, split decision type of fight. Flip a coin and pick who you want to win here. I'm going to go with Jessica I by decision, but full disclosure, I did not put really any analysis into this fight. The next fight is the co-main event of the card in the lightweight division. We have Dan Hooker taking on Michael Chandler. The current betting line for this one over on Bet Online is Hooker minus 144 to Chandler plus 124. There is two-way action coming in on this fight. Chandler was around a plus 150 underdog at some points, but this week people were betting Chandler really hard. He got almost to a pick him at one point, but after the weigh-ins, people are jumping back in on Hooker. They saw that height, that reach advantage that Hooker is going to have, and people are betting Dan Hooker here. Right off the bat, we got to say what an amazing fight this is. Extremely compelling fight. Tough fight to predict and analyze in my opinion because we do have Michael Chandler coming over from Bellator. He has never fought in the UFC before. And we don't really know how Chandler will fare against high-level competition because looking at Chandler's past few fights over the past three or four years, almost every single one of those fights was very one-sided. They weren't competitive fights where we really got to see what Chandler is made of. Just going down his record real quick, he had the fight in 2017 versus Brent Primus. He got kicked early on in that fight. His leg shut down. The doctors stopped that fight pretty early. But he did have a rematch against Brent Primus where he dominated Primus, outboxed him, took him down, kept him on his back for the majority of the fight. He fought Gordy Yamaguchi. He took him down pretty easily, dominated him from top position, good ground and pound in that fight. He was outboxing Brandon Gertz, took him down, submitted him. He got knocked out in a minute versus Patricia Pipple, and he knocked out Sidney Outlaw and Benson Henderson in round one of his two most recent fights. So you see what I'm saying? We haven't seen Chandler lose a round and come back. We haven't seen him really battle any adversity. His fights have been really quick. They've been one-sided, and we haven't got to see what Chandler is made of in his recent fights. Meanwhile, we have a very good idea of where Dan Hooker is at in terms of his skill. He's had tough fights. He's fought in all different levels of competition in the UFC. We've seen him fight good lightweights like Jim Miller, Gilbert Burns, James Vick, and he ran through those guys and knocked them out in round one. So I think we have a much better idea of the quality of fighter Hooker is at this point in his career. We know how he looks when he's battling adversity. We know Hooker is extremely tough and durable. He can take an extreme amount of punishment and still not get knocked out. So I think it's pretty clear that we just have a better idea of where Hooker is at as a fighter in terms of how he fares against good competition, his durability, his toughness, his output. He's gone the full three rounds, the full five rounds. So we've gotten to see him go the distance and get a better feel for his skill set. While Chandler has a lot of question marks around where he's at in his career, where his durability is at, his output. Because in almost all of Chandler's recent fights, he comes out aggressive, looking to pressure his opponents, land big punches, and he has a lot of power in his hands. He's got good boxing, he's got good pressure, and he can really put his opponents on the back foot and launch big bombs and hurt his opponents. And of course, Chandler also has that wrestling pedigree, comes from a college wrestling background, has very good takedowns, good top control, lands hard ground and pound, can pass guard, can submit his opponents. So I definitely think that Chandler is the better grappler of the two. Hooker has had problems getting taken down in the past. Jason Knight was able to take him down years back and outgrapple him. And I think it's pretty safe to say that Chandler is the better grappler of the two. 
And if we could rely on Chandler to come out and to wrestle right away, to come in with a wrestling-heavy game plan where he's not looking to trade punches on the feet, he's looking to close distance, get takedowns, and get the fight where the fight advantages him the most, if we could trust Chandler to do that, I think he would be the favorite here. I think he would be a good bet here, but... I do not think that we can trust Chandler to come out and to wrestle right away because he has been looking to box in his recent fights and also this is kind of speculation but Chandler has waited so long to get to the UFC. I don't think he's going to come right in and shooting takedowns and outgrapple opponents. I think he's going to try to use his stand-up, get in some crazy brawls and to prove that he is a good boxer with power in his hands like he's been doing in his past few fights as well. So we know that Michael Chandler is the better grappler of the two, we just do not know how persistent he will be with attempting those takedowns. Now getting down to analyzing the striking between these two, I do give Dan Hooker a slight striking advantage. He will have about 4 inches of height and 4 inches of reach over Michael Chandler, and I think he's just got way more offensive tools. He mixes it up with calf kicks, he's got those straight knees down the middle that he's knocked out some opponents with, he's got good straight punches. And he's got good body punching as well. When he's throwing punches and combinations, he digs to the body really well, mixes it up between the head and the body. And he did that really well in the Dustin Poirier fight in the first round or two of that fight. Hooker definitely started to slow down in the rounds 3, 4, and 5 versus Poirier. But he was going so hard in round 1. He was landing clean punches, knees. Those were knockout shots versus any normal opponent. But Dustin Poirier showed an incredible chin in that fight. One of the biggest advantages I give to Hooker in this fight is he's much more proven in terms of striking output. We've actually seen him go full 5 minute rounds where he's thrown 50 or 70 strikes around, where he's connected on landing 30 or 4 strikes around. So we can trust Hooker's ability to push a pace and to keep a high output much more than we can versus Michael Chandler. The way I see this fight going is there will be close and competitive boxing exchanges early. I expect Hooker to be landing mostly straight shots while Chandler is going to be coming around with his hooks and his overhands. Eventually, I think we will start to see Hooker develop a striking advantage, and that's when we're going to start to see Chandler look to mix things up and to start hitting takedowns. Hooker has been improving his takedown defense over the past few years. He's a long, tall guy, hard to take down, and his offensive tools act as a good deterrent for his opponent's shooting takedowns. When he's throwing straight shots and calf kicks to take out the lead leg and those big knees up the middle, those are big shots that deter wrestlers from shooting in on him. And I think Hooker has good success with them here. I think he will be landing calf kicks on Chandler's lead leg. He will be feinting those knees up the middle to get Chandler thinking about that big counter knee. And his straight shots down the middle will be good at keeping Chandler at a good distance where he's not going to be able to shoot a good takedown. Considering that both of these guys are big hitters, they both have power behind their strikes, they're going to be trading competitive blows early, neither have the greatest defense and both kind of rely on their durability, I think a knockout is possible on either side here. I could see either guy rocking one another with a punch and swarming with offensive combinations until the ref stops it. I also see a scenario where Michael Chandler is really persistent with his takedowns, comes out grappling super heavy, and uses his superior grappling wrestling top position to outgrapple Dan Hooker, possibly even getting a finish on the floor along the way. I could see this fight going in a lot of different ways, which makes it such a hard fight to analyze and predict, and a tough fight to bet on as well. I think the betting line is pretty accurate with having Dan Hooker as a slight favorite. I think that where the line is at now, the value is probably shifted to Michael Chandler, Anything above plus 115, plus 120 is value on Michael Chandler. So I think in terms of money line, it is going to be Chandler or pass where it's at now. 
In terms of my official prediction for the fight, though, I am going to go with Dan Hooker to win the fight. I'm actually going to go with decision. I know I said the knockouts are possible, but I'm going to think that both guys are tough enough, durable enough to absorb each other's shots and to make it to a decision, a close competitive decision, but I think that Hooker will edge the fight. Most of the reason why I am siding with Dan Hooker here is because I consider him more proven. We've seen him against higher level competition. We have a better feel of his strengths and weaknesses. We know that he's extremely durable. We know that he has a high striking output and he can push a high pace. And I just think that that is a lot more than what we have seen from Michael Chandler lately. Even though I think Michael Chandler is a great fighter, I'm excited that he is finally making his way into the UFC. I just haven't seen enough proven from him lately to pick him over a tough test like Dan Hooker. So I will be picking Dan Hooker to edge a close decision here. It's not an extremely confident pick because I mentioned it's such a hard fight to predict. I've been talking about this fight for about 8 or 10 minutes, so that should wrap it up. Amazing fight. Really looking forward to this one. And my pick will be Dan Hooker via decision. The next fight is the main event of the card taking place in the lightweight division. We have Conor McGregor taking on Dustin Poirier. Right now over on Bet Online, we see McGregor minus 301 to Poirier plus 251. This fight is a rematch, of course. The first fight took place back in 2014 where McGregor was able to knock out Poirier in about 100 seconds of that fight. McGregor was able to land a few hard left hands in the first 60 to 90 seconds and eventually landed a straight left hand behind the ear of Poirier that dropped Poirier and led to the TKO finish there. But that was six years ago. That was at featherweight. That was when McGregor was much more active. Now this is at lightweight. McGregor is not very active, only has two fights in the past four years in the UFC. One of those is, of course, the loss to Khabib Nurmagomedov, and one of those was the 40-second knockout over Donald Cerrone. Honestly, both of those fights are pretty irrelevant for analyzing this fight. They're completely different matchups, and you can't really take away much from those. But we do know that McGregor has not won a fight at lightweight since November of 2016. And since that time, Dustin Poirier has beaten Eddie Alvarez, Anthony Pettis, Jim Miller, Justin Gaethje, Max Holloway, and Dan Hooker. So in the same time that McGregor has zero wins at lightweight, Poirier has defeated all six or seven of those guys, high-level wins, some elite-level fighters in there. And that's a great statistic and all. It's a shocking statistic. But to be honest, it might not even mean that much in terms of the matchup. Because in my opinion, the matchup remains a bad matchup for Dustin Poirier. Poirier just remains too hittable, too lazy in terms of his boxing defense, and too reliant on his durability to pick him or to like his chances against such a lethal, precise puncher like Conor McGregor. I think this is also pretty clear if you watch Dustin Poirier's recent fights. He does have improved durability. His chin does look a lot better at 155 pounds than it did at 145, but he is still kind of reliant on that durability, that toughness. I mean, I have no idea how he made it through rounds one and two of that Dan Hooker fight. He ate some massive combinations, big flush knees down the middle, and he ate all of it and was fresh in rounds three, four, and five, had their better cardio, and was able to outbox Dan Hooker to a decision and in my opinion that's Dustin Poirier's best chance to win the fight is to absorb Connor's biggest shots in rounds one and two. Hope that Connor slows down in those later rounds where Dustin Poirier can use his recent experience advantage, his cardio advantage, his five round experience advantage that he's accumulated in the past few years that Connor McGregor doesn't have. Unfortunately for Dustin, I think the chances that he is able to absorb Connor's biggest shots and not get wobbled or knocked out in the early rounds is very low. I just think that Connor is too precise, accurate, and powerful for Dustin Poirier to survive those punches and to make it out of rounds one and two, where Connor is at his most lethal. 
A big problem throughout Poirier's career is his defense to southpaw strikers. He was knocked out by McGregor, of course, the first time, knocked out by Michael Johnson, who's a southpaw, struggled a bit with the southpaw striking of Jim Miller, and he hasn't really beat many southpaws in his past few fights. Hooker and Holloway and Alvarez, Gaethje, those guys are all orthodox fighters, so it's not like we've seen him against southpaws, seen improvements in his defensive striking, and we can confidently say that he will avoid Conor McGregor's punches. I do not think he's proven that. I think he likely still has the same defensive problems with a southpaw striker, and Conor likely starts to land hard shots towards the end of round one. I would consider myself pretty shocked if Conor is able to finish Poirier in round one because Poirier has eaten some big shots lately from big hitters like Hooker, Gaethje, Holloway, Alvarez, and he has good durability. He's able to absorb those shots and keep coming. So if Conor is able to come in here and knock out Poirier in round one after not having won a fight at lightweight in over four years, that would be incredibly impressive. It's not out of the realm of possibilities because, of course, he did knock Poirier out in the first 90 seconds of their first fight. But still, it would really shock me if Conor is able to dust Poirier in round one because he would make an elite-level fighter, one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world, look like a tier below him. And if Conor is able to do that, it would mean a lot. So getting down to how I see this fight going, I think that they will kind of feel each other out in round one for a little bit, exchange kicks on the outsides, and towards the end of round one, we will start to see them heat up their boxing exchanges, maybe we see Connor start to land those hard shots. I do not think that he will finish him in round one, as I mentioned earlier. I think in rounds two and three is when we start to see Connor really pouring it on, start landing clean, hard left hands that start really hurting Dustin Poirier, and eventually lead to the knockout. So in terms of an official pure pick goes, I will go with Connor McGregor to get a second round knockout over Dustin Poirier. Now in terms for best for this fight, the money line currently has McGregor at 75% implied probability to beat Poirier. I can't place him that high. I would cap it at 70-30 for McGregor. So I do think the current money line is slightly off in favor of Conor McGregor, but that's always going to happen. He's the most popular fighter in the sport. You're going to have a lot of casual bettors betting him, throwing him in a parlays and everything like that. So I think that that's expected with McGregor fight week by now. Looking at some props for this fight, I think that the Connor knockout prop currently priced at minus 195 has absolutely no value. That's at 65% already. So if you were betting that, you would have to think there is more than a 65% chance that Connor knocks him out. I do not think the chances of getting the K are that high. So maybe you start to look at Connor by submission or decision props. The submission prop is plus 2,000. It's always possible he hurts Dustin with a punch, follows it up with a submission on the ground. And the Conor McGregor by points at plus 700. I think that's pretty wild as well. There's also a double chance prop for Conor McGregor by sub or points at plus 500. Of course, I think that McGregor's chance of winning the fight by knockout is the most common, but I think submission and decision are on the table enough to make those props have a little bit of value. Once again, in terms of money line, I do think it is Poirier or pass at the pre-fight money line odds, but if you have access to live betting, I would honestly hold off and look to live bet Dustin Poirier if you like how he's looking in the first round or two, possibly if it gets into the later three rounds, which is definitely going to favor the cardio and recent experience of Dustin Poirier. So I would say even though it is dog or pass pre-fight, hold off on betting the pre-fight money line and just look to live bet Dustin Poirier. So wrapping up the analysis on this fight, once again, my official prediction for this fight is Conor McGregor to win by knockout in the second round. I just have not seen enough improvements in Dustin Poirier's defensive boxing. I think Poirier is too reliant on his durability, and he's too comfortable with that style where he gets hit once to land two punches of his own, and that will not work against a precise, powerful puncher like Conor McGregor. And I think that Conor McGregor eventually knocks Poirier out in round two. 
However, I will be cheering for Dustin Poirier here. If he's able to pull off this upset, it would be one of the best moments in MMA history, in my opinion. People aren't giving Poirier much of a chance in this fight. Haven't seen too many betters back in Poirier. And I think there's a good reason why, because the matchup does favor Conor McGregor. But there are a lot of questions around Conor McGregor's activity. Conor only has two fights in the past four years, zero wins at lightweight in over four years, and there are some very valid questions questioning how elite of a fighter Conor McGregor still is. He has not proven that he's an elite fighter in over four years, and there are some very valid questions questioning where he's at, where his physicality is at, and how elite of a fighter he still is. And that's what makes this such a compelling fight. Great matchup. Great time to see the rematch between these two. Really looking forward to this fight. I will be cheering for Dustin Poirier, but I think Conor McGregor gets it done by knockout in round two. So that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast. This has been the third podcast in the past eight days. So if you listen to all three of those podcasts, huge shout out to you. Thank you very much. Even if you've listened to just one or two, that still means a lot to me. Thank you for listening during this busy fight week. And we are ending this fight week with a bang with the Conor McGregor fight week. It doesn't get any bigger than this in MMA. It's a great time to be an MMA fan. So we don't have fights next week. There's, uh, I think, a one or two week break. So we won't have a podcast for a little bit. But if you want to check out my official bets, make sure you check out my Bet MMA Tips page, which can be found in my Twitter profile, the YouTube description, and you can follow me on Bet MMA Tips so you get an email notification every time I post a new bet. That's where you can see all my official track bets. Off to a rough start in the year of 2021, but look to turn it around with this next event where I do have a few bets already tracked. So make sure you go check those out. Once again, thank you to everyone for listening. Hope you all enjoyed the fights this weekend, and I will see you all before the next UFC event. Peace. Thank you.